0: I'm good. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Corey Cook. I'm with Lockheed Martin.
1: And my name is Jerome Dubois. I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Six Server Systems.
0: All right. We are very pleased to be here today. And with that, we're going to have a little bit of fun. So uh, primary agenda that we're going to be covering today. One, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the reasons why Lockheed Martin uh, invested in some of the advancements that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, second, we're gonna talk about some of the requirements and the challenges that we faced that kind of led us down this path in the first place. Um, also, we're gonna be looking at collaborative robotics in the defense industry uh, and where we are now and where we're going in the future. You'll get a, a, an interesting glimpse of some of the things that we're looking at uh, well into well beyond the 21st century. Uh, Jerome is definitely gonna be talking about the, that faster fulfillment story that has really helped us kind of catapult Uh, our level of efficiency and our operations. And then last, we're gonna kind of talk about that future vision. But first, let's have a little fun. Your instructor is one of the finest pilots this program has ever produced.
1: Legendary. What he has to teach you may very well mean the difference between life and death. Your reputation proceeds expecting an invitation back They're called orders, Maverick.
0: Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Today's exercise is dogfighting.
1: Two versus one, he's got to be kidding me. <laughs>
0: So does anyone know why I showed you that video? <laughs> Love that. You, right. that. you forgot about that part. I know. He goes, damn that guy. OK, does anyone know why I showed that video? I'll tell you in just a moment. All right. All right, so Corey Cook. I'm from RMS Orlando. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lockheed is broken down into four primary divisions. Uh, aeronautics, missiles and fire control, space systems, and rotary emission systems. And of the four, RMS is probably the, the one that's probably a little bit more ambiguous than the others, but it's, it's actually the one that's kind of a culmination of the other three. And being that we have a combination of the aviation systems, modeling and simulation, training, uh, autonomous systems. But we are also the supply chain and logistics branch of Lockheed Martin. And that's kind of where my domain falls in. I'm kind of that mix between the autonomous systems and the the, uh, supply chain, global global supply chain logistics. So now that question. So why Top Gun? Well, there's actually a couple of reasons. Number one, it was a really cool video, and that's good enough. Number two, true story, 1987, my entire family is Air Force, I saw the movie, it got me, I ended up joining the Navy, became an enlisted nuclear engineer, got my commission, became a supply officer, took me down the pathway of advanced technologies for logistics, ended up retiring as supply corps commander, and voila, that's how I inadvertently ended up here today. So, number two. But number three, Lockheed Martin ends up running a contract called IPV. IPV is the industrial product support vendor product program and what that means is that we run all the supply chain for the entire Air Force globally for every single aircraft regardless of whether Lockheed makes it or manufactures it or uh, operates it or not. Every single aircraft, every single missile system, everything worldwide and we maintain it in three primary depots and so that is a rather complicated task, but you're going to see why it's, ta- why it's rather complicated in just a second. See a plethora of vintage aircraft here, but let's start with the lower right-hand corner and P-51 Mustang. Jet fighters equal parts, and they equal a lot of parts. The P-51 Mustang, roughly 30,000 parts. Then we moved into the 1950s F-86 Sabre jet. <laughs> 170,000 parts then we ended up going to the F-15 and what do we have 350,000 parts and that's about the norm for most jet fighters but now we've gone into this whole next gen of fighter the F-22 the F-35 and you're looking at about 425,000 parts so now you look across the entire fleet of the Air Force and all of the aircraft that they have in their arsenal And you have a total of six, over a little over 600 million parts that can fail at any given time, and you have to have replacement parts for all of those aircraft, and that's what has to be contained in those depots, and that can be rather complicated for a human being to even try to figure out what part goes on what aircraft, and we realized that we needed help, and it was evident based on our daily operations. So that was one facet of our problem. The second. <coughs> is our production line in, uh, this is Arrow Fort Worth, this is our F-35 production line. One, we have very complex working environments. The F-35 production line produces every variant of the F-35, but that production line changes. So it literally is dynamic in that as it goes down, it will literally shift and create an entirely different type of F-35. So one will be the standard F-35, the other one will be the VTOL-35. And as that line changes, all of the parts required for that aircraft will also change. All the supply replenishment for that aircraft will also change that feeds that line. Again, very complicated process. All the security requirements for that, extremely complicated, not only for the line itself, but for the personnel that have to be on that line. Workforce personnel issues, you can imagine, very, very complicated. The personnel that have to feed that line are aerospace engineers. They're not just anyone who can come in, and those aerospace engineers can cost anywhere from 50 to 60 to $180 an hour. And those are the ones who are actually doing supply chain replenishment because they are having to recognize very complicated parts in that process. Non-standardized processes, we talked about that. The line's always constantly changing, it's shifting. It is literally a transformer in that production assembly line. Inventory validity issues, kind of goes without saying based on the number of parts. Uh, Inconsistent productivity, it was definitely a challenge not only for this operation but through a number of our operations. And then last, trying to maintain metrics definition and try to get a good grasp on the overall capability and efforts and how to plan dynamically for this operation became a uh, a worrisome effort for us.
1: Great. I guess this is where i come in, huh, Corey?
0: All yours. So, uh, Corey uh,
1: and I think we met in 2018 for the first time. Yep. Um, and we started on our path. And what brought Corey to Six River was he was looking at technologies. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. To give you some background on Six River, we were founded in 2015. So, uh, this is our fifth year of existence. We currently have 170 employees based in Boston, Massachusetts, 30 customers globally, and over 50 facilities uh, under contract in the United States. Canada and Europe um, we fulfill over a million units a week and we do we've done about a hundred million units so far in terms of fulfillments uh, and we're part of the global uh, supply chain covers our global e-commerce company called Shopify we acquired last fall um, <clears throat> when we look at problems we come at it from a des- uh, from an operator's perspective we design our solutions uh, it's really about focusing on your associates and your operations so we are not technologists we're actually folks that have had pro- practical experience and apply a technology to that role. Uh, the first thing that we think about is empowering the operator. So we believe that people play a central role in successful operations. Again, it's really about empowering your folks. The second rule is around enhancing every scan. We wanna improve operations with intuitive uh, uh, products built on an intelligent platform. So it's all about different types of products. It's not just robots. You don't see robotics in our name. We do lots of different types of technologies, as you'll see in our booth. Um, the third rule is around flexibility then productivity. So Corey pointed out that the line is constantly changing. His business needs are constantly changing. Even for a very large company like Lockheed, who has a lot of different products that they're pulling out all the time, their business is changing on a per-contract-to-contract basis, just like most of yours is probably changing. And the last thing is data is kind of the core of what we do. So we do data-informed decisions. We effectively use data as the foundation And then we apply common sense on top of that. So we allow our operators to make the ultimate decision, but we make recommendations to make your life easier. And that's whether you're an hourly associate picking with our mobile robot called Chuck, or if you're managing the floor of the warehouse through our uh, web-based management consoles. The way the system works, it's actually pretty simple. Um, What we've done is we've eliminated a lot of walking. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But the first part of the process is called induction. Induction is when we take in the feeds from the warehouse management system, and we kind of take over the outbound scheduling process at this point. So the WMS is sending us orders and containers, uh, shipments that they want us to process. Uh, and from there, we actually go through a smart work allocation, essentially building out the work on the chuck, in you know, batch, um, to minimize the amount of walking that that operator is going to do. The second thing is, once that work is inducted, it may travel past what we call the FastLane product. Fast lane is a robotic arm solution that is used to pick high-velocity product that maybe one out of every four or five orders has a product there, so it'll pick off pallet, place it onto the chuck, and then uh, the chuck will then travel over to what's called a meeting point. The meeting point's where the associates badge into the chuck, and then the chuck will lead them through their work. That associate doesn't know whether or not the chuck has got batch picks or single unit picks or discrete orders on it. The associate doesn't really care, it just follows the Chuck and it's doing what the Chuck tells it to do. Uh, It eliminates a lot of the long walk, what we call this long walk, by traveling autonomously from the induction area to the meeting point. In the picking process, the operator, the associate, is just following Chuck along, so it shows an image of the product, Uh, it's a hands-free scanner, and it's pacing the associate from location to location. So you don't have to think about where you're going next, and it keeps the operator on task. When that work is done with that chuck, the chuck lets the operator know, hey, I'm done. Go badge into the next chuck at location XYZ. Meanwhile, that chuck will travel to another zone or to take off or exception handling, as you see on point, uh, between three and four. So if the work is complete, it will go to a takeoff location where we could do the pack out um, for like a single unit uh, workflow or uh, a sortation if it's a multi-line batch. Those are all things that Six River controls in the outbound workflow. Most of our customers will use the Chuck for discrete order picking, but oftentimes, we do some additional sophisticated stuff like the batching and sigulation. Oh, sorry.
0: That's the system overview.
1: Okay. All right, here you go.
0: And so, now to the fun part. What did all of this effort really result in? So, in our operation in Oklahoma City, we, we have one of our three depots. And when we implemented the chucks, we weren't really sure what this was going to entail. It was a new process for us. Um, we actually ended up doing an engineering study uh, of about 30 companies, and it was a very rigorous uh, study. It was looking at workflows. It was looking at the, uh, everything from the ergonomics of the, the, the robot itself. What's the rugged ability of that robot? I will tell you, the, the warehouses that I have are not the the state of the art warehouses that you may see presented out here. Ours have divots and potholes and cables and they're dirty and they're filthy. It's some of the worst environments you could possibly imagine. Many of these are like literally from World War II on up and some of the worst uh, environmental conditions you can imagine. So uh, I needed a system that I could literally operate in there and that would be able to maintain day to day. That was number one. Number two. I also needed someone who understood uh, logistics supply chain processes. And I will tell you that's something that you should definitely be looking at as you go through and you're talking to some of these companies. I talked to a number of companies who are either very good on the engineering side. They're very good roboticists. They have some great systems. They don't know a thing about logistics or supply chain. And that was critical for us. And that started the, really the first stage for us because when 6RS came out to us, and they went through our supply chain, they sat down with all of our, our supply chain workers and sat down and said, well, what's your supply chain process? I'll I'll be very carte blanche with you. Our guys didn't know. And when they tried to spell out those processes, they gave them three different processes. And the Six Rivers said, that's great. Which one is really your process? So then we actually had to go back and figure it out ourselves, because it, depending on who you ask, you got a different story. So it forced us to really sit down and figure out our our, our own process, our own methodologies. And and that was a good QA process. The second thing that it brought to the table, too, is that they brought a wealth of experience from other companies and saying, hey, this is great, um, the way you're doing it, but have you thought about doing this? So even before we even started going down that road of implementing the robots, we got suggestions that we were able to implement that actually started to affect our overall efficiency right from the start, which was also good. Ease of of installation. One of the things that we looked at is what's required in terms of the infrastructure of implementing the robots. If I have to go in, I have to put in a massive degree of infrastructure. If I have to put in readers and interrogators and I have to do uh, a large degree of cable and power implementation, things like that, it's pretty much a non-starter for me. In this particular case, that's one of the things that I liked about the system. It was pretty much bring in the crate, roll out the chuck, I'm able to put in a power supply so that Chuck is able to go and self-feed pretty much like a Roomba. And it it determines when it needs its own charge, takes care of itself. So that worked out really well. And then the other thing is we just had to provide the wireless network. And so it was pretty much ready to start. The only thing that we had to do is really map out the facility. And I think you guys did that with an Xbox controller, if I remember. So I mean, it was really pretty easy process for us. the psychology of our workers was critical to me. How was our workers, how were our workers gonna be able to accept this? Were they gonna see this as an invasion? Is this gonna be the loss of my job? And so one of the things that we sat down, not only with 6RS, but also within the company, we sat down with all the workers so that they had a clear understanding of, of the entire process. One, we actually took the last three companies and we let them choose. So they had a buy into the process. And I mean, every warehouse floor house worker got to have a role in that decision process. So now they were one; they they all had a stake in this. It was also made aware to them that as long as the robots here, because it's a cobot operation, if the robots here, you're here. So now they no longer saw it as a threat; they saw it as job security. So now the dynamics changed considerably. So that was another big piece of this. The other thing too is that. A Chuck robot is a wealth of information. I think they collect up to a terabyte of information a day. It's, it's, it's staggering what they can collect. And the great thing, though, is they're able to discern the information you truly need. That gives you great analytics. And I'll give you a great suggestion. I, I, have, I have some great supervisors, but in any operation, the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. Or the, yeah, squeaky wheel gets the grease. So you have that guy who's very robust and flamboyant. And they're often taken to be some of your best workers. That's not often the case. It's usually sometimes that quiet guy who just keeps to himself and he does his job, but because he's not really that vocal, you really don't know him. And what we were finding is that the Chuck is able to monitor that person's performance down to the, I mean, down to the second. It would be able to determine when that person is really taking his breaks and his work efficiency and everything and it was turning out that some of the workers that the supervisor really didn't think were necessarily his top performers were in fact his very best performers, and it totally 180ed to his skew on his on his workers and his entire workforce, and, and that was critical for him. And it had him reallocate his entire workforce again, changing the dynamics and efficiency of the workforce. So, what training? I don't want to miss that one. So when I first went to Boston and met with Jerome and the crew, they put me right out in the warehouse that they have and said, here, we're going to train you up. Five minutes later, I had my initial training on Chuck and I was operating him through the warehouse and and picking and pulling. It was literally that easy. The user interface is incredibly easy. How many of you remember Simon Says? I I know I'm dating some of you, okay, I'm sorry. All right, it's it's pretty much like that. It tells you where it is. You got a green light and a red light, slap it and go. If it's green, you're good to go and you move on. Okay, that's pretty much the system. So again, very well thought out. For our particular operation when we started, because of the complicated number of the parts that we have, we were running 16 line items per hour. After we implemented Chuck, we were running 77 line items per hour within the first six weeks. That was an increase of 481%. Now my optimum has been 512%, but we're really running more at that 480%, so that's why I want to disclose. I mean, that's an increase in productivity of almost 500%. That's unheard of for us. I mean, for just about any operation. Inventory validity. Because we were getting it right, we were picking the right parts, we weren't having to go back and repick. we weren't having to go put away and putting them away in the wrong place. Our inventory validity also within that time frame went from 66% to almost 100%. It, it totally transformed our warehouse and it was is amazing how it just morphed that warehouse operation over that period of time um, ROI in nine months I know what Jerome told me I know what his team told me I didn't believe them okay but it turned out to be better than what they said within the nine months we we got an a total ROI for Lockheed Martin if I get my ROI in five to seven years that is considered a win when I went to accounting, I told them I'm going to get an ROI in less than a year. They thought I was absolutely on drugs, and they said this will not happen. But I still got corporate to put up the funding. And when this happened, we ended up doing all sorts of analysis stories on it because it was just unheard of. So uh, with this program, estimated $1.5 million in savings the first year. So obviously a win-win story. Because of this effort, in uh, Orlando, we have what's called our Innovation uh, Center. And in that innovation center, we've actually built our warehouse of the future. And it has a whole number of technologies in it, everything from digital twin to uh, AR, VR for uh, warehousing to uh, invisible asset uh, tracking, uh, you name it. But we also have Chuck in there with an entire warehouse system that we're able to interface with different warehouse management systems. We've even built Chuck into various modeling and simulation systems now so I can put him in different environments so I can see how... I can get a feel for him before I even put him in that environment. So there's all of these things that I'm thinking up about what I want to do with Chuck. Some that Jerome has to say, get back to planet Earth, okay, because I do get a little crazy sometimes. But the point is, it's turned out to be a great collaboration of what we're thinking about and how we're wanting to take uh, supply chain robotics and really to the next realm, and we're always pushing those boundaries. So it's been a fantastic relationship. But for our supply chain operation, it's been amazing. And with that, we're starting to push it into our Sikorsky operation, F-35, and a number of other uh, locations. So, future vision. And this is where I envision our robotics going. We're obviously, as Lockheed, we've been involved with robotics for for decades. But we haven't been so much on the supply chain side. We haven't been on our own internal operations. So now we're really starting to look at that effort. So if you can imagine the F-35, most sophisticated aircraft on the planet, uh, has roughly 200,000 sensors on it. So if something goes wrong in that aircraft, I know what it is before it ever even thinks about landing. So Envision now, the aircraft is able to determine what the fault condition is, what circuit card is bad. It's now able to relay that fault condition to the depot, to the warehouse staff, who's now able to have a robotic uh, system, now deploy, pick the part, pull the part, and then take it and automatically feed it across the tarmac to the uh, to the warehouse or to the maintenance uh, depot, where now the mechanic is already waiting, has the part on hand even before the aircraft lands. That's what we're going to. That's the system that's in play. It all goes to the aircraft readiness and keeping that aircraft totally on online 24-7. The other things that we're looking at Uh, diagnostics prognostics data figuring out what's going to happen to the aircraft with sensor data before it happens so again same principle Um, even before that part breaks we know when it's suspected to break and we'll have that part ready and available also through an autonomous system Uh, autonomous transport we're looking at everything from autonomous refueling autonomous uh, ordnance loading uh, autonomous security those systems are already in play today And then uh, maintenance. Already in F-35 now, we're already doing autonomous painting, autonomous riveting. Uh, Obviously, the assembly line, major portions of that are already through a robotic process. And then already on the uh, flight line, we've implemented drone with AI that is doing uh, physical inspections of the aircraft, uh, indicating any type of anomaly and letting us know so we can go do field maintenance on the aircraft. And then last, just wanted to leave you with a sense of roadmap. even just a small snapshot for the next uh, 25 years, or 15 years, even. Um, Everything that you see from 20 to 25, those are systems that are already uh, created and out in the field today, they're engaged. Everything from the, uh, let's see if I have a, does it work? Nope, okay, doesn't work, all right. Ah, there we go. Um, Exoskeleton, it's uh, basically like the Iron Man suit. It gives the ability to hold up to 250 pounds of uh, rugged equipment. It allows that soldier to to literally transverse for uh, 10, 20, 30 miles a day without any fatigue. It's it's basically a zero weight system. Um, Same thing with uh, autonomous mobile systems now carrying equipment out for the troops so it's already there in field waiting for them. Obviously, a whole number of drone systems, autonomous helicopter. uh, Basically, you go back to your uh, hybrid air systems. And then, now we're going into the the drone systems, which are uh, really starting to take place. These are already in development, and they're already going to start going into production here in the near future. And then, getting into 2035, we're starting to go into the Interstellar and the Hypersonics. All very much in play. When we talk about the intricacies and the complicated parts of aircraft today, imagine what these systems are going to start requiring. So for us, autonomous supply is just as pivotal for these advanced systems. Uh, They're they're an imperative part of it. So, um, And I think that is bringing us to the end. So at the very end, talk to me, Chuck. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And with that, we're open to any questions you might have.
1: Question in the back. How many chucks they
0: have? Oh, um, and uh, each of our depots, we have eight. And so with the F-35 production, we're looking at anywhere from 70 to 100. So, uh, obviously, that facility is one mile long for one continuous uh, assembly line production.
1: And just to add to that, our, our starter setup uh, is about eight chucks, and that will support about four to five pickers. All right, so it's generally between one and a half to two chucks per picker.
0: Okay. All right. Anyone else? All right. We well, thank you for your time. And uh, if you have any other questions that you might have, yep. feel free to come up and ask us.
1: We've got a demo just out here at four seven, uh, Sorry, 7489. Uh, just outside this door. So feel free to stop by. You can see our end-to-end capabilities.